When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Ready. Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. What is going on, Belly Up Sports fam? It's your favorite history teacher, Parker Ainsworth, with another edition of FN Sports, the podcast where teachers grade sports' biggest issues. This week, we've got a handful of theses submitted by folks for Study Hall. And you know how Study Hall works. You bring the teacher what you've got, they grade it, and let you know what they think, and then they give it back to you. Before we dive into those, we've got to hand out some gold stars and detentions. First, gold stars are being handed out in a pair to Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi. Bird and Tarasi are the first two Olympic basketball players to medal in five different Olympics. Also worth noting that all five are gold medals. Both Bird and Tarasi are 40 years old, so it's hard to see them pushing for six unless they try three on three. Uh, Side note, you can swim, backstroke, and freestyle. They can set this up where you can play five on five and three on three. I'm not sure if it was taking a solid kit there. Second or kind of third gold star goes to Edron James for continuing to be unapologetically himself. Edge was inducted into the Hall of Fame over the weekend, and if you haven't got a chance to check out his speech, you're missing out. The Edge did a great job of balancing humility and confidence, and he outlined it took to get him from Miami to Canton. I will say also his line about from gold teeth to gold jacket was spot on everything you want about Edron James. That's the viral clip, but I recommend go watching the whole speech. Great work, Edge. Loan detention for this week, or the loan one I'm handing out, I guess. Aubrey Huff did get suspended from Twitter, but he got suspended. That's not really detention. Our loan detention for the week is going to the marathon runner from the Olympics that swiped all the water. So for those that didn't see this live or when it went viral after the fact, a little less than two hours into the marathon, they have these tables set up with water on the side. Now, it's actually unique to how hot it was in Tokyo, and... As people are going by and grabbing water, one competitor 
started at the back of the table and just knocked all of the water bottles over and grabbed the one at the end. And I'm not sure if it's on purpose, not sure if it's on accident. I have a hard time buying that it's an accident. I, I need this guy to send attention to tell why he's making such a giant mess. You'd send any kid down in school if they were making a giant mess and put them in detention. So he's gonna go in detention too. We're gonna put him in there with them. All right, so as we said, this week we have three different theses from kind of four people, although one is choosing to be anonymous. Although two people kind of had the same thesis. So it works out we have theses on the National League East, both the Mets and the National League East as a whole from the Sports Stove Pod and Justin Voorhees. We have another thesis about Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys come from Adam Hall Sports. And we have an Olympic basketball thesis from an anonymous source. And so we'll keep it there and keep them anonymous. Again, if you send it via DM or an email, we're going to keep you private. So those guys, I'm assuming, want to keep their name hush, hush. So before we get too far, let's go ahead and dive in. The Sports Stove Pod, which is at Sports Stove on Twitter, and Justin Voorhees, who is at Mustaine3651, that's at M-U-S-T-A-I-N-E 3651, both asked questions about the Mets and the NL East on Twitter. The Sports Stove asked if the Mets would win the NLCS on Twitter, and Justin Voorhees asked who will win the NL East. The thesis here, I think, gets a C-. Uh, there is an alternate reality in which I see the Mets winning the NLCS, but they're not who I'm betting on. As far as who will win the NLCS or the NL East in general, let's dive in. All right, so truth time. I had to do a lot of research for this because this is not really my forte. I'm a Houston sports guy, and I do follow the Astros very closely, but my greater MLB knowledge is usually just how things pertain to them. It's very regional-based, right? Very regional baseball fan, which for the last half decade, as an Astros fan, has been a lot of the postseason, the American League as a whole, and at least the top of the American League as a whole, and then there was that whole, like, trash cans thing. I say all that basically to say that between the Olympics, the NBA draft, NFL preseason, Texas joined the SEC, uh, the NBA Finals just finished like less than a month ago. I had no idea how packed the NL East was at the top. Frankly, I just didn't have the leftover gigabytes in my brain. But man, this this top of the NL East is wild. So for listeners who are just like me, or how I would have been, and be like, what? The NL East? Let's talk about it. We currently have, as of the recording of this podcast, three teams atop the NL East separated by just two and a half games. The Nationals also kind of punted on their season in the present tense, shipped off some assets and pitching and so on, but they still have Juan Soto. So it feels weird to count them out, but they are nine games back in fourth place in the NL East. So as we see it, the Phillies, Braves, and Mets are sitting at 59, 57, and 56 wins respectively. In the NL Central, two teams have more than 60 wins. And in the NL West, there are three teams with more than 64. So realistically, only one of these NL East teams is really going to make it into the playoffs because you have to imagine that that wild card game will have two teams from other divisions in the National League. The Phillies and Braves have been red hot in the last 10 games to get into this fight, and the Mets have been ice cold. Uh, they, the Phillies have been 8-2 and two coming into the recording of this podcast. The Braves are 7-3, and three, and the Mets are 2-8. and eight. I, I really, really do want to bet on 
DeGrom here. He is obviously a once-in-a-lifetime type of pitcher. It'd be great to see him have postseason success. Finally, it just doesn't seem like that's how the Mets season will go. That would be like a very Metsy thing for them to do. They For them to come back and win this division after having the lead for a brief moment, that's just not the kind of thing the New York Mets historically get associated with. And so kind of on reputation there, that brings me to a C-. minus. I could see... It turning around if you have a historical couple months from DeGrom and some adequate batting. It, it's not unheard of, so we are going to pass at a C-. I'm just not betting on it. So who does win the NL East? I look at Philly. You have Bryce Harper with the 983 OPS. Uh, they have three guys with over 20 homers, three guys with over 50 RBIs. I look at the Braves. They have Freddie Freeman at first. They got four guys with over 20 homers. They have five guys with over 50 ribbies. The Mets just have one of each of those. So again, that's not looking great for the Mets. Uh, the Braves also have Charlie Morton on the mound once every five games. They have Will Smith closing. They look like they're about to get Huascar Yanoa back. Uh, that all seems encouraging. What's discouraging about the Braves is that Ronald Acuna Jr. is out for the year after an ACL injury just before the All-Star break. And that I actually did remember in looking this up because that's a very, like, gruesome video to watch so don't go watch that for injury pornography that's not advised in class that's a lot of their offense down the tubes for at least the rest of the season probably a lot of next season and even if they get even if they have been hot the last couple of weeks it's hard to imagine that you can like long term replace that right so they had that injury going into the all-star break and they've been hot since then right but in the last 10 days two weeks but it's hard to imagine that that carries on and goes forward. Uh, so we look to Philly. They've got Zach Wheeler on the mound. They got Jose Alvarado in relief. But perhaps the most notable thing to look at here is not actually even rosters. As we look down the stretch, the last third of the season, what's important is who they're playing, right? These teams are all very, very tightly put together and very, very tightly at the top of the NL East. And so when you look at it, it looks like the Braves have the fifth easiest schedule remaining. The Mets, the seventh hardest schedule remaining. Not great for the Mets. But Philly? Philly has the easiest schedule, if counting by opponents' wins and losses, left in the entire major league. They're also currently in the lead of the division. So they don't have to play catch-up with that easy schedule. They just have to stay out in front. They have as good bats as anyone else in the NL East. They have comparable arms. If I'm a gambler, I'm going with the Phillies. I mean, again, I don't know that any of these teams make it to the NLCS. As far as the sports stove half of this thesis goes, I don't know that I'm necessarily going with any of these teams to get to or win the NLCS. But I will say I think I might put my money on Philly winning it if I were that kind of a gambling teacher. But I'm not a gambling teacher because you should not be gambling, children. Okay, Parker. So the thesis statement for this commercial is James Harden has the best beard in sports. What do you think about that thesis statement? Oh, I give it an A. You know, as a Houston guy, we, we seem to have an affinity for our beers between guys like him, Dallas Keiko, lots of big beards in the Houston area. What do you think about the thesis? So I'm a Jets fan, and I absolutely love the beard that Ryan Fitzpatrick has. So maybe I would give Ryan Fitzpatrick the nod over James Harden. But 
You're talking to a couple of bearded teachers, and we know a thing or two about making sure that you maintain that mane. So check out the Beard Struggle. The Beard Struggle, they make oils, they make balms, they even have this heated comb to make sure that you get your beard straight so that you're looking fresh. I know I've really enjoyed using the oil they make for my quarantine beard of sorts. It's nice and long these days, but it <laughs> keep it nice and healthy and hydrated. And if you're listening to our show, you can use FN Sports 15 and get 15% off your oils, your balms, your shampoos, conditioners, whatever you need to use to keep your beard looking healthy. Absolutely. Check out The Beard Struggle at thebeardstruggle.com. Whether you're just starting to grow or you have a luscious mane already, The Beard Struggle's got all the products that you need. The Beard Struggle. Feast your face. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Our second thesis of the day comes from Adam Hulse. You can find him on Twitter at Adam Hulse Sport. That is A-D-A-M-H-U-L-S-E Sports, all one word, on Twitter. Adam tweets us the thesis, Dak Prescott will win the MVP and Comeback Player of the Year. Now, after thinking about this for quite a while, for those that know that I'm a Houston sports guy, but I was not raised with the Texans because they weren't a team when I was a kid. So the Cowboys are actually kind of my football team as the lone pro team in Texas when I was a child picking up sports. I thought long and hard about this and settled on a B+. I think there are some interesting things to take into consideration when looking at both the MVP and Comeback Player of the Year. And frankly, Dak Prescott checks off a lot of boxes. This is interesting because in the last body of work we have from Dak Prescott, he absolutely dominated. Even as the Cowboys struggled to win games before he got hurt in the fifth game of the season last year, in just over those four games, Prescott had over 1,800 yards passing. Moreover, he'd thrown for 450 or more yards three straight games. Uh, Dak Prescott, simply put, was dominating on the football field even if they were finding weird ways to lose. Worth pointing out that in the one weird way to win they had, if you remember, that's the onside kick game against Atlanta and the giant comeback they had. Again, offense was powerful. They had to onside kick with a dead ball kick at the end of the game, or at the end of the game, just to have a chance to beat a bad Atlanta Falcons team. So it makes sense to think that with Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, an older CeeDee Lamb, even Zeke Elliott and Tony Pollard out of the backfield, that Dak Prescott's only going to have more production. It'll be year two with head coach Mike McCarthy, year three with Kellen Moore as the offensive coordinator. And on the whole, all of that points to more growth and more success. Dak is a great quarterback. Dak is a smart guy. Like These things ought to be moving forward and moving in his favor towards winning something like the MVP. But the issue I see popping up, and again, I am a Cowboys fan, but the issue is much, much simpler. For Dak Prescott to win the MVP, he likely has to win a lot of games in 2020, 
Aaron Rodgers won the MVP, and his Packers won the most games in the NFC. In 2019, Lamar Jackson and his Ravens went 14-2 and and won the AFC. In 2018, Mahomes and his Kansas City Chiefs went 12-4, and which was not the best record, but the Chiefs had the second best record in the NFL, and Mahomes led the offense, so was putting up more points than anyone in the NFL had that year. The gap between them and second was more than 30 points, worth pointing out. In 2017, Brady won the MVP, and his Patriots were tied at the top of the league at 13-3. In 2016, weirdly the year that Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott are competing over a Rookie of the Year award, in 2016, the Falcons were led by that year's MVP, Matt Ryan, to the second most wins in the NFC. Prescott and Elliott again sharing limelight for that Rookie of the Year award, not competing for the MVP in the same way. And worth noting, the Patriots were 14-2 that year, but they're also coming off of Deflategate, so they're not just going to just hand the MVP trophy to Tom Brady. And they were 3-1 and one in the four games he was suspended, so that's hard to figure out how they'd hand him the MVP there. And then in 2015, MVP Cam Newton led the Panthers to a 15-1 record. All of that is to say that with rare exception, we just give the MVP to the quarterback of the team that wins the most games. It's not more complicated than that in most years. Like, the complications are Brady is found cheating with the flake gate. Well, we got to figure that out. Give it somebody else. Or, yes, Mahomes has one less win, as the Kansas City Chiefs have one less win with Patrick Mahomes, but they have more than 30 more points than the next team. They just, they just had a tougher schedule, right? Each of these things is a weird instance. Can the Cowboys be that team? Can the Cowboys actually win the most games in the NFL or close to it to get Dak Prescott into that echelon of quarterbacks? Last season, in the four complete games that he played, Prescott set the world on fire. But the Cowboys? They were just 1-3. Theoretically, playing in the NFC least should help Dak out. That should be half a dozen times that he and that high-powered offense can just outscore opponents, rack up a bunch of yards and touchdowns, and cement an MVP case. But will it, and will they? And even if they go on a 6-0 run, can they actually beat the Bucks, Chiefs, Cardinals, Minnesota, all these teams on their schedule? Dallas has a really tough schedule, and winning 11 or more games is going to be much more difficult than just winning the division. And so that's an interesting thing to keep in mind when talking about can Dak Prescott win an MVP. But the reason I'm high on my grade here is actually a little bit more simple, right? Because remember, I am at a solid B-plus on this. I think this is a strong thesis. Dak Prescott returning to form and completing the season would be a clear comeback player of the year award winner, right? Like, having gone through that gruesome, gruesome leg injury and coming back and doing that, you'd have to hand me the award. He was such a mobile quarterback and did so much with his legs to maneuver around the pocket. The idea of him being back less than a year later after that gruesome of an injury in his lower leg that he has to do all of this work on is wild. <laughs> we can ooh and ah at athletes defying physics often, but we rarely get to ooh and ah at them defying biology. This should not be happening, and he's already back and playing. Right? He's got a little shoulder soreness because it's been a while, but he's already back practicing and playing. So if he comes back as himself, he should be halfway to earning these two awards, right? If he puts up 350 yards in three-fourths of the games, as he did before, 
he'll probably also be in the MVP discussion. The question is just, do the Cowboys win enough games to actually get him there? Because that's where we put, rightly or wrongly, our value in these things. We don't actually analyze who's playing best. We just say, winning the most games, hand it to the quarterback. That's all we do with the NFL MVP. And this is not a thesis we're necessarily digesting if that's good or bad. That's just how they've handed it out, and I don't know the Cowboys are going to win the most games. It also bears mentioning, and this is the last tidbit on this thesis, but it bears mentioning that even if they win enough games, there is another risk. Zeke Elliott could steal, in air quotes, votes away as well. The dynamic duo fought for Rookie of the Year votes in 2016, right? If you all remember, they're both rookies. Dak Prescott's the fourth-round pick. Tony Romo goes down. Dak steps in, they win a bunch of games and look great, so the world on fire. Dak won Rookie of the Year that round, and quarterbacks typically do get the postseason awards shine. So, like, that does make sense. But Zeke and his success will also be instrumental in winning games this year. So, for them to win games, they're going to need Zeke to have a really great year. And he looks like he might, right? He trimmed his body fat down. He's down 10 pounds and looks like he's lost more because he's all jacked up now. Uh, he's more professional in his demeanor and all the reports at a camp. But Zeke and his success will be instrumental in winning games in the same way that Dak and his success will, if not more so. Zeke dominating a game means that they're running the ball effectively. Running the ball effectively means that awful Dallas defense doesn't even have to get on the field. So if the Cowboys were to go like 12-5, and five, do these two guys split the air quotes Cowboy vote and let someone else from a 12-5 and five team whether that's Kansas City, whether that's Stafford in L.A., or whomever that might be, does someone else get their whole market's votes and Zeke splits the Dallas vote? As big as that market is, does Zeke split the vote with Dak and actually in turn kind of hurt Dak in a way that other quarterbacks don't have to deal with? We'll see. Our third thesis comes from Anonymous. Again, if you submit these theses in a DM or in an email, we'll keep your name off the air because obviously that's a little bit shyer than just replying to the tweets or Instagram posts as we blast them. The thesis reads, Kevin Durant is the greatest Olympic basketball player ever. Which is interesting uh, because he is obviously an American and so on and so forth. Um, I'm going to sit and give this thesis a B plus the start. It could very well be an A minus very, very quickly. And we'll get to that in a second. Okay, so this is a fun thesis. This is a very fun thesis. The Olympics just ended. Kevin Durant won his third gold medal. And in the process, passed Carmelo Anthony on the all-time men's points leader list in the Olympics. The first knock on the thesis, though, is that it needs to be made male-specific. We just mentioned in Gold Stars, it's going to be hard for anyone to get past the five gold medals of Subert and Diana Taurasi here. It seems tangential, but it is a factor. We're talking about greatest Olympic basketball player, and those two women have won gold five times and been starters on the team each time. That's impressive, that's hard to do, that's peak, that's longevity, that's everything. So simply adding greatest male Olympic basketball player would immediately knock this into the A range. But having that caveat there, we need to make sure we keep track of that. Now, if we look at Durant's real competition 
on the male side of things, it comes down to, first and foremost, Carmelo Anthony, the guy he just passed in scoring. Carmelo Anthony has four medals, the second most points, and became famous for his style of play. He became like the Olympic mellow, right? The stretch four that was big enough to play defense on fours down low, but could stretch the floor and shoot threes as a small four in the NBA, and that really was unique, and teams were having to adjust in how they played lineups that had him on the floor. While we're sitting here talking about Carmelo Anthony, uh, we mentioned that he has four medals. That's the most for any male playing basketball in the Olympics. Kevin Durant now has three. That's tied for second most with LeBron James and David Robinson. Each of those guys have three medals, but LeBron's and David Robinson's are both two golds and a bronze, right? Because the United States got bronze in 04 with LeBron as a 19-year-old, and the United States got bronze in 88 with David Robinson as the last time we couldn't send professionals. So that is a little different, and I think that naturally we can talk about how like just on accomplishments alone, Durant is a little bit of a notch ahead of them because he did win the whole thing three times, and those guys came in third. Medal count can't be the only important piece of information here, but it is an important piece of information. For instance, Michael Jordan only has two Olympic medals, but you can argue he and the Dream Team revolutionized Olympic basketball, which in turn grows the game internationally and makes the Olympics bigger and better each time and so on and so forth, yada, yada, yada. The player's role is really the thing we need to keep in mind here because Carmelo Anthony having three golds and one bronze is not necessarily a whole lot more different than Durant's three golds when you start to factor in what they had to do along the way. Carmelo Anthony was an important player because of how he spreads the floor, right? Like that's a very unique role and he did it very uniquely and well in 2008, in 2012, and in 2016. He probably still holds a grudge about 2004 and not getting to do it very often, but he was all of like 20 years old, right? In 2012, when he got to do it a lot more often, he sets the record for most three-pointers made in international competition versus our guest champ from a couple weeks ago on the Nigerian national team, actually. If you remember that, champ is talking about having, having to cover Kobe Bryant and having to help out on Kevin Durant shooting threes, but that same game, Carmelo Anthony actually breaks the Olympic record, or the international play record, I should say, for three-pointers made in a game. But Carmelo Anthony didn't lead the team in points in any of his Olympic appearances. He had a lot of points in games like that, but across the entirety of the Olympics, he was not actually the leading point-getter in any of those things, and point-getting is kind of the thing Carmelo does, right? Carmelo is an old-school, tough-shot maker, and so if he's not doing that better than you, it's like, well, what is he doing better than you? Kevin Durant has been to the Olympics three times, right? And he has led his team in points each of those times. He had 19.4 in 2012. He had 19.5 in 2016. And he just broke 20 this year's games. Side note, this year's games were the 2020 Olympics but they're also the 2021 games, and so I'm going to probably have messed that up a couple times over the course of this podcast. Just a heads up, those are what we're talking about. They're all the same thing. The interesting thing in comparing Kevin Durant's leading the team in points as he's been to the Olympics is that two of those sets of Olympics, he was on the same team as Carmelo Anthony. So when it came time to get a bucket, Carmelo Anthony is known as bucket getter, tough bucket getter, but 
the team deferred to Kevin Durant more often than not, right? Kevin Durant is the kind of guy that will make a simple left to right cross, take one dribble and get to the elbow and rise up. The difference is he's seven feet tall. You can't defend that. That's impossible to cover. When he goes right to left and goes to the short corner on the baseline, it's the same concept. It is not difficult to cover and keep up with, but once he creates two inches of separation, he can elevate and you can't get to the ball. Carmel Anthony is a big guy. He was quicker than most posts, and he dragged those posts out to the three-point line with him. However, he's not a seven-footer in the same way Kevin Durant is. It doesn't quite work the same way. In these Olympics, Kevin Durant was asked to do things that Carmelo Anthony never had to do. This Olympic basketball team, Team USA in 2021 or 2020 or whatever, had a lack of size, right? They had to go add a JaVale McGee after the fact just to bring in a seven-footer. It was Bam Adebayo, Kevin Durant, and then Draymond Green is the next air quotes big on the floor for Team USA at any given point. That was a problem. That meant Durant had an uneven burden having to be a true post defender he had to cover guys like Rudy Gobert down low in a way that takes its own wear and tear on your body he then went to the other end of the floor and played on the perimeter and led the team in points including having over 20 in the first half of the gold medal game he's shouldering a lot of load here with this team and that needs to be taken accounted for because when Carmelo played well they were winning games big. For instance, the 2008 team that Carmelo Anthony was on, Kevin Durant was actually not on, but that 2008 team won every game by 20 or more points except for the gold medal game. Again, is part of that Carmelo Anthony? Yeah. Is part of that LeBron and Kobe and Waite? Yes, it's also each of those guys as well. The 2012 squad in all but three games won by 20 or more points. In 2016, Team USA won the gold medal game by 30 points. Okay, so those Carmelo-led teams did not have to face the same kind of down-the-stretch maneuvering that Durant led this Team USA through. I think I can convince most people that Durant is earning his reputation as the best Olympic basketball player ever over Carmelo. The real interesting conversation actually comes down to Durant versus, yes, Michael Jordan. The interesting thing in arguing about him versus Jordan is you're talking about longevity three times in the Olympics in a row versus peak and Jordan in the 92 Dream Team, right? There has been no dominance, even with the 30-point win in the gold medal game in 2016, that there has been no dominance from Kevin Durant in the way that 92 Dream Team dominated basketball however playing in three olympics across a nine-year span right that is a different beast in itself especially when you factor in the injuries we all know kevin durant has been through if after breaking his foot in 2014 he said i need to take some time away from usa basketball no one would have faulted him if after tearing his achilles tendon in spring of 2019 he said i can't play on this olympic team i'm taking myself out of u.s basketball especially because at that point he was less than a year away from it no one would have faulted him if 
this year after coming back from all of those injuries and having the playoff run he did that finished just weeks before the Olympics and scoring 49 points in Game 7 and being a literal shoe size from potentially winning an NBA Finals, no one would have said anything about it. If Durant had just pulled himself out, out after any of those instances, he would have been okay. And he didn't. He has continued to play for Team USA the entire time. In fact, because we're only three years away from the 2024 Olympics in Paris, I'm not necessarily writing him off either. The Brooklyn Nets have cert certainly signed him for longer, right? He just got his contract extended, so there's a real chance that he is still playing NBA basketball at that point. And if he is healthy enough to play NBA basketball, he continues to demonstrate that means he will also play USA basketball. So I'm giving the nod to Durant here because I admire the longevity. If you're going to go with Peak and with the Jordan route, I totally get it. It would have to be someone from that Dream Team team, frankly. But I'm going to have to go with how impressive the longevity of Kevin Durant has been. Friends, that is another edition of FN Sports. Thank you all for stopping by to study hall today to catch up. Special thank you to the Sports Stove Podcast. You can find Vince Stover at, at Sports Stove on Twitter. Special thanks to Jason Voorhees. You can find him at Mustaine3651. That's M-U-S-T-A-I-N-E 3651. And last but not least, thank you to Adam Hulse, who is at Adam Hulse Sports on Twitter. If you enjoyed all the Hoops Talk, you're in luck. We have another episode of the Midweek Midrange this Wednesday night at 9 o'clock Eastern on YouTube and Twitter. We will be breaking down Summer League, the Olympics be wrapped up, and we'll be looking at the second half of the WNBA season that is following the Olympic break. That's the Midweek Midrange, which should be found on YouTube and is on Instagram and Twitter at, at Midweek Midrange. Don't be afraid to pull up. Also want to take a second to shout out ScoreZag Score Podcast, hosted by Andy Patton. Andy had me on over the weekend to break down some of the Gonzaga fits in the NBA, both the guys that have just changed teams like Kelly Olenek or Zach Collins, and we looked at the guys that were drafted or picked up after the draft like Jalen Suggs, who just had a great summer league game. Andy runs a great show. We always have a great time. It's one of the most informative podcasts about Gonzaga basketball you will find. As for me... My personal stuff, which includes podcasting, writing, and general nonsense, can all be found at Painsworth512 on Twitter and Instagram. That's at P-A-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H on Twitter and Instagram. This show also has a Twitter and an Instagram. On Twitter, we're at FNSports2. That's at F-I-N-S-P-O-R-T-S number two, all one word. On Instagram, we're at F underscore N underscore sports. That's at F underscore N underscore sports. Be sure to like, subscribe, rate, review, and do all the wonderful things that help out the podcast and whatever you do. Please remember, don't flunk with us. Later, guys.
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 